Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, let me say it's good to see the choir and hear the choir back uh, in this month of September. Glad to have you here. On the flip side of that, you know, the singing from out here was much better over the summer when they were out here. So, you know, the rest of you are going to have to pick up your game a little bit now. Uh, so uh, we're counting on that for the glory of God. Uh, some of you might remember a, a letter that I once uh, read to you. Uh, written by a woman uh, named Marcia to a man named John. Dear John, she said, words cannot tell you how deeply I regret having broken off our engagement. With the passing of time, I have decided that I desperately want to reconcile. Please take me back. Let's start over. I know I'll be happy this time around. I love you, I love you, I love you, Marcia. P.S. Congratulations on winning the Mega Millions Lottery Jackpot. <laughs> well, today I want to talk to you not about that letter, but about another letter. Uh, this one written by St. Paul to a man by the name of uh, Philemon and about the power, not of money, but of words to create reconciliation when our relationships with each other get broken by our words and by our actions. And if ever there was a time uh, when this world leaded, needed the language of reconciliation, that time is now. In fact, I can uh, tell you with great assurance that there has been an uptick in the number of people like you who have come to me and in referring to everything from the, the political climate to the changing climate to social issues and moral issues to things going on in your personal lives. You're saying things to me like, you know, I can't even talk to my sister about this. I can't talk to my brother or my, my friends or even my kids. And so, in this month of September, as we reintroduce this wide variety of opportunities for children of all ages to come and learn and study and speak the language of God, I want to begin by thinking about the words of St. Paul's letter to this man, Philemon and about the language of reconciliation and what it's like to have a relationship with somebody in Christ even when we are divided by our perspectives, our positions, and even our sins that tear us apart from one another. And I know, you know, I've preached on this letter a number of times before over the years, but let me just set the stage for those of you who may not have heard it or might need a little refresher. Philemon is a friend of Paul, the great apostle, and he lived in the uh, ancient city of Colossae in uh, Asia Minor. And he became a Christian as a direct result of the ministry of Paul, either in Colossae or over in the city of Ephesus, which was just about 100 miles away, where Philemon may have met Paul when he was there on business. All of which is to say that uh, Philemon was uh, undoubtedly a man of some prominence and of some wealth, given the fact that he has a house in Colossae large enough to host a church, and he is also the owner of slaves, uh, which was one of those socially accepted atrocities of the Greco-Roman world of the first uh, century. And one of those slaves is a man by the name of Onesimus, uh, which literally means useful. That is, until Onesimus the slave runs away from the house of Philemon. 
he escapes. We think because of the letter uh, that maybe he was caught stealing something or uh, he was uh, avoiding his punishment in some way. At any rate, he flees all the way to the city of Rome, like 900 miles away. And that's because uh, in Asia Minor at that time, uh, there were people who literally made their living as professional slave catchers. And so if he went to Rome, it was big enough, it was far enough away that he could just get lost in the city, he could avoid capture, and he could start a whole new life for himself. But it didn't work out that way. Exactly, because while he was in Rome, Onesimus meets none other than, guess who? St. Paul. Maybe because he was arrested for some other crime and met him in the context of his imprisonment. Uh, maybe Onesimus, who was not a Christian, uh, realized that uh, Paul, who was Philemon's friend, was there and he looked him up deliberately. Or, or maybe it was just a coincidence if you sort of believe in that kind of thing. What we know is that when Onesimus meets Paul, his life has changed forever when he too has an encounter with Jesus as a direct result of the ministry of Paul, and he also becomes a Christian. And the object of Paul's great affection for him, as he also had it for his friend Philemon back in, in Colossae. And that's when the whole thing gets kind of tricky, when because Onesimus has become a Christian, Paul, somewhere along the line, convinces him that he can't live his life on the run, that the right thing to do in that cultural first century circumstance is to go back to Philemon to return to Colossae and to seek reconciliation with this man who has now become his brother in Christ. You want me to do what? This is a big moment here, and, uh, and the fact of the matter is that uh, uh, Onesimus, who is now you know, this Christian, is facing the greatest spiritual challenge of his spiritual life so far. And in order to uh, encourage or grease the skids for that reconciliation, Paul sends Onesimus back to Colossae with a letter that he has written to his friend Philemon asking him to accept this runaway fugitive back into his house, no longer as a slave, but also as a brother in Christ promising that if there were any damages that Onesimus has caused, it should be charged to Paul's account. Well, that's the context for this letter, after which we come to the language of reconciliation in the letter and to a few very significant things uh, that I think are there for you and me to consider today as we think about the words that we will choose in response to the broken relationships in our lives, whatever they are, whatever their cause. The first thing I want you to notice is that Paul's language of reconciliation is just filled with warmth and affection. He calls Philemon his dear brother, and he expresses his thanks for his, his faithfulness and for his love. He calls Onesimus his son, his very heart, and he even gives this cute little play on words that you may have picked up 
keeping in mind that Onesimus means useful. And he says to Philemon, formerly he was useful to you. Now he's useful both to you and to me because he's our brother in the Lord. These are just, you know, passionate, emotional, heart-grabbing, heartfelt words because affection is the language of reconciliation. Secondly, I want you to notice that Paul expresses his utmost respect for the person that he is talking to. And he's saying to Philemon, you know, I, I'm not going to do anything about this without your consent because this isn't my call. This is your call. In other words, Paul isn't telling him. He's asking him. He's appealing to him and not demanding him. He is using his words to influence Philemon, but not to manipulate Philemon. And there is a, a, a big difference when he says to him, I'm saying this so that you will respond out of love and not in a way that happens to be forced. Now, if you know yourself, if you're in a position of authority over somebody in your life, you know, you're their boss or you're their parent or uh, you have greater rank than they do, that so often, an appeal to the heart is much more effective than a, the appeal of authority. And it gets a stronger, better, more decisive response. And that's what Paul's getting at when he says, you know, you're my brother, he's my brother, I want you to treat him like a brother to you. This is a very big deal. And, and it's a big deal because what Paul is actually doing here is he's putting his whole friendship with Philemon right on the line and asking him to do something that just was not done. And that was to receive this fugitive back into his home as a brother in Christ. Because the fact is, in that first century world of slavery, if a slave was recaptured and returned to his master, uh, he was punishable by everything up to including an execution. If he was not execution, uh, that person would be branded on the forehead with a letter F for fugitivus or fugitive in Latin. And then for his part, whoa, Onesimus is betting his whole life on the language of reconciliation. He's betting everything on the letter of Paul to Philemon. Because if Philemon finds Paul's appeal appalling, and it took me a while to think that up, <laughs> then Onesimus is toast. And so this whole thing is hanging on one relationship, and that is the relationship between Philemon and Paul, but also the mutual relationship that they have with Jesus. And that brings me to the most important thing I want you to notice about that letter, and that is that at the center of all of it is Jesus. And that the one who does away with social definitions of relationship in the family of God is Jesus. The one who makes forgiveness possible is Jesus. The one who makes reconciliation happen in this world is Jesus. And all of that is to say to you that when you find yourself in a position where you know, you've got to seek reconciliation with somebody that you may have hurt, 
or you're in a position where uh, you get to broker reconciliation between two people for whom you have great affection. Watch your language. And ask yourself just a few fundamental questions along the way, like, you know, am, am I really motivated by affection? Or am I just trying to win an argument? Do I have respect for the person that I'm talking to? Or am I looking down on them, condescending to them? Am I using my words to influence them, or am I manipulating them? Because there's a difference between the two. Do I have a relationship with this person that can be represented in the words that I'm speaking? And is Jesus really the center of what I'm doing here, what I'm saying here? Or am I just saying it? Now, with respect to the question of uh, whether or not Paul's language of reconciliation in his letter to Philemon actually had its desired effect, the Bible does not tell us. But as some of you might remember, there is a little piece of church history that gives us a clue. It has to do with the fact that many years after the letter to Philemon was sent and received, in the city of Ephesus, about 100 miles away from Colossae, where all this thing got going, a new bishop was installed as the head of the church in that city. The name of the new bishop was a bit unusual. It was Onesimus, which means useful. And it gives you a hint that the power of Jesus can turn a fugitive into a brother, a brother into a servant, a servant into a leader in the church that bears the name of Jesus Christ. In fact, it may interest you to know that in the Christian church's calendar of festivals and commemorations, February the 15th is set aside as the commemoration of Philemon and Onesimus, reconciled together in the language of God. Now sometimes I think that maybe when Paul was writing that letter, you know, maybe he was thinking about a time in his own life when, you know, when he was the fugitive, when he was the one who was running away from God until he has an encounter with Jesus that just changed his whole life. When he realized that, that Jesus put all his sins on his account and paid for them at the cross. And I wonder what would be different in your life or, or what would be different in my life if in choosing my words to that person from whom I am estranged, I would stop and remember all those times in my own life when I was the one who ran away with my disobedience and in my sin. And that Jesus is the one who pays my way to a new world of reconciliation between me and God and between me and my brothers and sisters all over the world. You know, for me, I think it helps me understand a, a little bit better the, uh, the words of our own denominational president and his comments uh, about the immigration crisis that is dividing our country today uh, when he said, and, and I quote, the Christians disagree about the political or the legal answer to this question. But all Christians 
are still under the Good Samaritan mandate of Jesus Christ to love our neighbor, documented or not, and to care for them within the bounds of the law. I hope that it also helps you uh, to think a little bit about why it's so important to come here and to learn and to study and to speak the language of God in your life and in that world that so desperately needs that language as we stand and sit here uh, today. I hope it helps you understand the importance of coming into this house every week to hear that language spoken to you in a way that changes your life when you hear your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. Love your neighbor. In one of my many books uh, on the topic of preaching that I have in my office, in one of them, the author says to the would-be preacher, remember that the words of God can be very dangerous because once heard, the couple whose marriage is in trouble decides to give it another go. The Christian teenager invites her non-believing friend to worship. The local bigot softens his stance in relationship to his neighbors and his co-workers. None of those people went to church thinking that anything in their life would, would change for them or for their world, and then it does change. And when it does, nothing is quite the same again. You may have noticed uh, that in greeting uh, Philemon at the beginning of his letter, Paul refers to himself as a prisoner because that's what he was in Rome. But I also need to tell you that in some of his other letters, which you can read for yourself, he introduces himself as a bondservant or a bond slave. And that's because in that first century Greco-Roman world of slavery, there were a number of different kinds of categories of slavery. And one of them was known as the bond slave or the bond servant. So that when you had a debt that you could not repay in any other way, you could put yourself in the position of slavery until the debt was paid and you were free. That was the bond servant. That was the bond slave. But here's the thing. For Paul, it's just the other way around. It's because he was set free by Jesus that he voluntarily puts himself in the position of the bond servant or the bond slave as a way of telling the whole wide world that I will live my whole life under the ownership and the authority of my master who has given us, as he says in another letter, the ministry of reconciliation. And so when you think about the language of reconciliation, about what it means to be reconciled to somebody in your life in the midst of the differing experiences or perspectives or even the sins that tear us apart from each other. That you'd have the grace to know this language. That it might always move to the tip of your tongue. That it might never be a foreign language to you. Because that is the language to which God has called us. And I hope that you will also have the grace to come back 
day in and day out, week in and week out, from your wandering and your running away, so that your life would be changed. As you hear those words spoken to you by God himself, when he says, I love you, I love you, I love you. You're forgiven. Your account is settled. You're welcome back into the home of God here in time and someday for all eternity. Now go talk that talk and go walk that walk for the glory of God. And remember the words of St. Paul in yet another great letter to another great church when he said, for there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For we are all one in Christ, our Lord and our Master. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. I invite you to rise as we confess our faith together.